to Jersey Sunday, guys. Yeah. Woo! Go ahead and take a seat. Hey, man, that worship was phenomenal. Give it up for the band and the worship team. They killed it this morning. Praise God. I know the angels in heaven are jumping. They're running, too. They're up there like, yeah, we like that. We, were, we, 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 we like to run for Jesus up here as well, too. So, guys, uh, if this is your first time here, I would like to say welcome home. If this is your third time here, I would like to say welcome home. If this is your hundredth time here, I would like to say welcome home. My name is Muta. I'm one of the uh, servants here at Relevant Church, and I've got keys in my pocket. And somebody told me last time, do you know you had keys in your pocket the whole time? I was like, yeah, my bad. I took them out this time. So, again, my name is Muta. I'm one of the servants here at Relevant Church. And here at Relevant Church, we try to keep the main thing the main thing. And we try to uh, really just be about one thing, and that is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is relevant. That Jesus Christ is relevant in our homes, in our schools, in our communities, in our circles of influence. We just want to let the world know that Jesus Christ is relevant. And how we do that is by working to develop a, a faith community here that passionately follows Jesus, loves across boundaries, and makes a tangible difference in our community, region, and world. Is that something you can get behind? Is that something that we can celebrate? So check this out. I thought we were done with the Get Your Ship Together series. I was like, all right, we got to the end of it. Four four messages, it's all good. But I believe the Holy Spirit was like, nope, one more thing. He's got one last word, and he's saying if we want to make 2017 a banner year, if we want to start off 2017 off right and get our ship together in 2017, I know I need to get my ship together in 2017, he says there's one more thing that we need to learn. So in this series, we've talked about a whole bunch of ship. So we've talked about war ship. See how I get that at the end to make sure you guys knew exactly what I was saying? So we've got, we've talked about worship. We've talked about relationships. We've talked about fellowship. And then last week, uh, we ended, what we so thought ended the series was with stewardship. But I believe that Jesus, God, wants to tell us one thing today, that stewardship without ownership is not stewardship at all. Stewardship without ownership is not stewardship at all. So before we jump into this message, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to watch a quick video, and we'll get right back into the message. You guys good with that? All right, let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. Teach us, allow us to learn from you, Lord, and uh, we'll just be careful to give you all the honor, praise, and glory. Transform our hearts and our minds today in Jesus' name. Isn't that like a picture of life? Christine just mentioned that this morning. You get the ball, and you think you've got a handle on things, and then boom, you get the wind sucked out of you. Oh, my gosh, that is so much life so many times. And I remember being in uh, college and being in a freshman psychology class, and our uh, instructor asked us, and she played some similar video, and she was like, all right, now let me ask you guys something. When a football player gets the ball, whether it's a wide receiver, a a, a running back, fullback, whatever, when they get the ball and they're ready to run this thing, when they're running down the field, is that good fear or is that bad fear? Let me take a poll real quick. Is that good fear or bad fear? Good fear, bad fear. How many for bad fear? How many for good fear? So check this out. So this one unassuming freshman, I'm not going to admit if it was me or not because I'm not going to be sitting here and be embarrassed, was like, that's bad fear. 
And she was like, no, that's good fear. It's this motivation. But how many people who played football in high school or college, I I played a little bit of football in high school, knows that uh, as much as you want to get to the end zone, you also don't want the goodness knocked out of you, right? That is part of your motivation. Like, I see this guy coming at you. I see this safety coming from left wing or whatever. I am not trying to get laid out right now. And so you're headed towards the end zone. But let me tell you something about fear. That is a lot of reasons why many of us keep from pursuing things in life. A lot of us are so afraid about what's going to happen. We don't want the goods knocked out of us. And so we figure the risks outweigh the rewards. So we allow fear to stop us from everything that we want to accomplish. We, we, we say things like, you know what, I just, I, I, I don't want to put myself in a situation that's uncomfortable. I don't want, some of us fear so much that it, 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 it gives us this fear of just failure. Some of us fear losing control and taking hits. And some of us fear losing some of the gifts that we've been given. And so we just kind of push everything off to the side and say, you know what, I'd rather stay in my safe zone. We fear over overextending ourselves. We fear over losing control. We just fear. But football players know one thing. When you get that ball handed to you, you've got one choice. You better get in the game quick. They grab that ball and they start heading towards the end zone because they realize that at the end of the day, my team depends on me. My coach depends on me. The owner depends on me. Our uh, division depends on me. And ultimately, the world is waiting on me. Let me ask you this. How good are you doing at owning what's been handed to you? How good are you doing owning the things that have been placed in your hands for you to run to the finish line? Because I believe every single one of us in here has received gifts and talents that God has given us to own. And remember, stewardship without ownership is not stewardship at all. So what we're going to do in this message, we're going to go back to the very same text that we used last week, Matthew chapter 25. I believe that there was just so much more here that the Holy Spirit wanted to talk to us about. And so I want to jump into this text, Matthew 25, 14. And uh, in this text, Jesus is telling a parable. If you're unfamiliar with what a parable is, a parable is really a fictional story to tell a point. He's trying to get a point across to some individuals. And in this parable, we're going to read through it, but let me give you a quick summary of it so you know exactly where we're going. So uh, in there, there's a story, yes, as the house crew is going out, passing out the Bibles. If you need a Bible, put your hand up because we're going to be in the text going through it. But as the story goes, Jesus is telling about this rich man who calls three of his servants, and they come to him, and he gives them uh, a talent. And what a talent was was a real heavy sum of money. A talent was 15 years' worth of pay. So to one person, he gives 75 years worth of pay. He gives them five talents. To another individual, he gives them 30 years worth of pay. He gives them two talents. And to another one, he gives them a year's worth of pay, which is 15 talents. So the first two guys, the one who got five and the other who got two, decide to go ahead and double up on their money uh, immediately. 
The third guy decides to bury the money and like, you know what, I'll just wait till the owner comes back, till the master comes back, till my boss gets back, and I'll give him back the money that he's entrusted to me. And so in due time, the master comes back, the boss comes back, and he says, hey, where's my money? And so the guy who's uh, got five talents comes, and you can just see him skipping down. He's got his stuff. Hey, boss, check this out. I've got five. He goes, another five. I made you ten. Dab on him, right? So he's feeling real good about himself. So the next guy comes with two, and he says, hey, boss, guess what? You gave me two. I gave you, uh, here goes two more. I made you four altogether. So now you've got a lot more money. And the master, the boss says to them, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over the little bit that you've given you. And all of us are like, what? That was not a little bit. So if he says that's a little bit, imagine how much wealth this dude had. Anyway, that's besides the point. It just... I went off there for a second. But he's like, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of our Lord. And then the third guy comes. And he's like, well, boss, I, I saw you. I've, I've, I've gotten to watch you a few years. I've worked for you for a little while. And honestly, you're kind of a jerk. And you like to take things that aren't yours. And so here goes your one talent. You can have it back. And the boss is like, you wicked lazy, degenerate of a man. He's like, you, you, you think that I take stuff that's not mine? I'm a hard person to work with. I just gave you 15, I gave you 15 years worth of pay. He was like, you know what? Take what's been given to him. Give it to the one who's got 10 because the one who has more will be given and the one who hasn't, even the little that he has will be taken away. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's contrasting responsibility versus irresponsibility. He's contrasting people who are faithful stewards of what they've been given and those who are not faithful stewards of what they've been given. He's talking about people who've got received a a, a big faith and have received the gift of salvation versus the individuals who don't do anything with the salvation that they proclaim that they have. And so that's where we find ourselves in this text. He's essentially saying that all of us has been given a stewardship in life and what we do about it, what we do with it matters. It matters. So grab your teaching sheets. We're about to jump into it. We'll try to get to the point and get you guys out of here uh, this uh, morning. Point number one is ownership recognizes that I matter. So what does ownership mean for you and I? It means ownership recognizes that I matter. I matter. Look at verse 14 through 18. So for it will be like a man on a journey. We're in Matthew chapter 25. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Remember that. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. Last week we established the fact that this was the owner's choice. These guys didn't do anything to receive it. The owner probably had hundreds or maybe even thousands of servants working because this dude was loaded. He had a whole lot of money. So he went and picked three people specifically to give the money to. 
And he says he picked them according to how much they could handle. It, he, he picked them according to their ability. It was a calculated move. He had been watching these guys. He, these people worked in his field. They worked in his space. And so he was watching them. And day by day, he was like, you know, I've kind of worked with that guy. And I've kind of worked with that guy. And I want these individuals to come and receive this money. And so he entrusts them this money. And each of them mattered to the owner because he gave them a large sum of money. You just don't give away money like that to people who really don't matter. And some of us in here have no clue that we matter. Many of us in here don't know how much we actually matter. And many of us don't know how actually valuable our lives are. A lot of times we sit there and we look at our lives and we think that our lives are just uh, this, this, this thing that I just, I was born and I'm living and I'm working and I'm going to school and this is just kind of all there is and is there more to life than this? And then unfortunate situations happen in our lives and we're sitting there wondering, why the heck me? Why did I have to do, why do I have to go through all this pain? Why do I have to go through all this stress? Why do I have to deal with all of this? What we don't realize, just like this was a calculated move for the master giving the servants these finances, our life is a life of calculated moves. See, we've got a sovereign God who knows us. He knows us intricately. He knows what we can handle. He knows what he can put before us. And everything, good or bad, that happens in our life is part of him shaping who we are into what he wants us to become. He's placed us with certain gifts. He's put certain talents in our lives that we're supposed to receive and say, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Okay, I had an unfortunate situation. What am I supposed to do with this? Or I received this good news. What am I supposed to do with this? Our lives are a calculated move. Check it out how it says in Psalm chapter 139, 13 through 14. Now, this is David who's writing this. David is one of the most revered kings in Israel. He is the king of kings in earthly Israel. This dude is like legit. This is a man that God says, this is a man after my own heart. And this is what he recognizes. David recognizes that his life is a calculated move. It's not just some random existence in this world. Psalm 139, 13 through 14 says this. This is what he's saying when he's recognizing how important he is. He says, for you formed me in my inward parts. And he's talking to God. This is a psalm that he is is saying to God. He is singing this song to God. He says, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. But too bad many of us live a life of misappropriated value. We put more value in our inability and less value on God's infinite ability. We put more value on our limited ability than on God's infinite ability in our lives. 
And we don't understand that God is moving around the chess pieces of our life, orchestrating the events so that we can live out the life that he's called us to live, like it says in Ephesians 2.10. Paul, another one of the major writers in the Bible, one of the most prolific writers in the Bible, one of the dudes who were like, man, this dude had a, has a real legit faith. Like, I want to model my life after Paul. Paul says this, and we talked about it a little bit last week. Ephesians 2.10. This is God. uh, This is Paul talking about God. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. That God prepared beforehand. You matter. I matter. We matter in every sphere of life that God places us in according to our ability to accomplish the good works that he's placed for us beforehand. So ownership recognizes that I matter. That was point number one. Point number two, ownership recognizes it's bigger than me, though. See, a lot of us like the fact that I matter. I can do this. I can accomplish this. Yeah, pastor, you could have stopped on that one. I'll go home on that one. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on. Ownership recognizes that it's bigger than me, though. Check out verse 19 through 23. Back in Matthew, he says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And and he's right now doing the end zone shuffle. I mean, he's feeling real good about himself. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The boss comes back to subtle accounts. See, these two first guys recognize at the end of the day, this is bigger than us. We've just been entrusted with a gift that is incredible. No one else has been given this gift. What are we going to do about it? They recognize that it's bigger than me because at the end of the day, the master's coming back. They know that he's coming back and he's going to settle accounts and he's going to say, what did you do with the money that I gave you? They've gotten to know this guy. They know what his expectations are. And the same thing for us. Our gifts and our talents are for us, but they're not about us. These talents were not about the servants. These talents about the master entrusting the servants with these talents because he wanted them to do something specific with them. And if you've been around here a long time, you've heard the phrase that I just said. Our gifts And our talents are for us, but they're not about us. They're bigger than us. Too often when we're entrusted with things, we think it's about us. I get this new job. Oh, man, look what I did. I get this new opportunity. Can you believe what I was able to accomplish? 
or, or other times we get handed things and we're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I, I really feel comfortable with that. It all turns back to be on us. But remember we talked about Moses last week? So check it out. Moses, uh, if you're not familiar with the story, he's again one of the major prophets in the Bible. God gives him this incredible task of going to go release people who've been enslaved for 400 years. There's over a million people enslaved in Egypt, and God sends him back to Egypt. See, Moses grew up in Egypt, but he grew up as an Israelite who was actually one of the slaves, but he had the greatest opportunity because he didn't grow up like a slave. He actually grew up in the king's household. He grew up in Pharaoh's household, so he was part of the slave nation, but he actually grew up pretty good. He grew up in the house. And in the course of time, he sees how these slaves are being treated wrongly, so he ends up killing one of the guards, and now he's wanted for murder. And God sends him right back into this place after many years of being outside. And listen to how Moses responds. He's walking in a field, He's walked probably by this bush a hundred thousand times, and he walks by and he sees this burning bush, but it's not burned. And I'm pretty sure all of us would kind of be stopped at that moment. Like, what in the world? So he goes up closer to this bush, and then he hears this voice come out of this bush, and the bush is burning, but it hasn't been burnt. And the voice says, hey, take off your shoes where you stand. is holy ground. He recognizes that this is God speaking to him. And God does some really interesting things, like showing up in a bush that's not burning. That's not burned, but it's burning. I mean, the Bible gives some interesting stories, Right? Just some really strange things. Like, imagine hearing that story. Yeah, so guys, uh, the other day, right, I was walking down 3rd Street, and there was this tree, and it was burning. But it wasn't burnt. Go figure. The voice started talking to me out of it. But anyway, he's sitting there, and he's having this conversation with us, and God tells him, hey, look, I've got a special task for you. I need you to go release my people out of captivity. And in that moment, Moses is like, it's about me. He immediately thinks that what God is asking him to do is about him. How do we know? Check out how he responds. Exodus 3.11. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? Check out Exodus 4.1 after God gives him a rebuttal and tells him why he needs to do this. Exodus 4.1, the Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. I would have probably said the same thing. Yeah, so a burning bush told you to come release us out of captivity, but it wasn't burned. You You sure you're good? You were, you were out there in the wilderness for a little while. You sure you didn't get some of those berries out there? Sure that thing that was burning didn't kind of go to your head? Exodus 4.10. Exodus 4.10, Moses says this. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. I can't talk, God. 
I'm not, I'm not smart like everybody else, either in the past or since you've spoken to me, your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. God, I've got a stutter. I'm not intelligent. I don't articulate myself very well. I've heard other people talk. I've seen the Egyptian orators. I've seen them debate. I see how other people talk. I'm not like that. God, I don't have the gifts and talents somebody else has. God, I I know the other people who are going for this job. I can't go there. I can't apply for this job. God, I can't venture out on this business. I don't know much. God, I can't serve in this capacity. I don't have the gifts in this area. Ownership recognizes that it's bigger than me, though. What did we say last week? God never calls us to a mission that comes with comfortable safety nets. Never calls us to a mission that comes with comfortable safety nets. The point that Jesus is making here, he says, we are to own and utilize whatever gifts that have been placed in our hands because at the end of the day, it's bigger than me and you. It's bigger than us. You matter, but as a conduit, not as a cat. How many people are missing their blessing in life because you choose to be your own lid? How many people out there are uh, desperate to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you've put a lid on yourself that I just, I can't be the one to introduce that person to Jesus. Uh, How many people uh, could use some extra motivation in life or uh, learn something in life, but you've made yourself your own lid where you won't help anybody else because you're like, I'm not eloquent. I can't teach. I can't do what everybody else does. Ownership recognizes that it's bigger than me, though. Point number three. Ownership stops making excuses and gets in the game. Verse 23 through 29. 24 through 29, excuse me. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, a.k.a. you're a jerk, and I don't really like you, for real. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. There, here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. Think about the excuses that we use, right? It's uncomfortable. It, 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 it's, it's out of my comfort zone. I'm tired. Boy, do I hear that a lot. How many times this week have you, has somebody said, hey, how's your week? Busy. All of us. It's become the thing now. 
Busy is like the new black. Hey, how are things going? Busy. You watch Netflix all day, but you were busy. I've got the lack of resources. I can't venture out on this thing because I just don't have the capital to do this. I've got a lack of time. I just, I don't, there, there's so much in my schedule. I can't go and do this. And you know, as a pastor, can I just, can I just be real with you guys? As a pastor, this is where I hear this the most. You know, I just, I just don't have time. You know, that's a little bit out of my comfort zone. You know, I would, but I really just need to set some healthy boundaries in my life. You know, I just, I just need to take some time. Maybe God is calling me just to pull back and just think about myself and consider myself for a little while. And then you know what happens about six months later? You know, I'm just, I'm just not being fed here. You know, I think we're going to make this transition because I'm just, I'm just not being fed. Why would you keep feeding when you're not using what you've already been given? Where is it going? One of my favorite pastors says, like, oh, we just want to become spiritual fatheads where it just gets inside of us and it goes nowhere else. We exist as a conduit and not as a cat. Ownership stops making excuses and gets in the game. A lot of us, you know, just I'm not fulfilled in life. I just, I just feel like my life isn't to its fullest potential. But the reality is, what are you doing to help somebody else's life? What are you doing with the things that have already been placed in your hands? How are you utilizing the gifts and talents God has already given you? That's the coolest thing. Back to Moses. I saw, I saw the coolest thing in the text. And it's something that sometimes when we read the Bible, we just kind of look over things like this, right? We read it and we're like, man, this is awesome, but we really don't put that much stock into it. So Moses is given all these excuses why he can't. Why he can't, and they won't listen to me, and I can't do that, and I'm not good at this. And listen to how God responds to him. This is, this is really cool. I, I like this. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. I didn't even want to read it on my iPad. I wanted to go to the scripture myself. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Then Moses answered, but behold, they won't believe me. Or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. You're crazy. You saw a burning bush that wasn't burnt. You're smoking. You're high, bro. There's something wrong with you. You didn't see God. Verse number two. Check out what God asked him. It's like God doesn't go into like major conversations with people. This is all he asked him. He says this. What is that in your hand? Like, sometimes God is just like, God, really? This is besides the point. Can we get back to the main event here, God? God is like, what's in your hand? And you can, you can just tell Moses, he's just a staff. You're God. Really? The staff. The staff was a staff that God used 
to miraculously remove the Israelites from the clutches of Egypt. This staff, this staff was the one that miraculously was used to bring water out of a rock. This staff was the staff used to part the Red Sea so over a million people would come out of slavery and go into the freedom that God had for us. If God can do, or had for them, if God can do all of this with a staff, what can he do with what's in your hand? See, the thing about it is, the, the thing that separates these three, these two guys from the servant who did nothing with the gift that was given to him, the thing that separates Moses from all of these guys, remember King David, who we just talked about? The thing that separated King David, what did he have in his hand? A slingshot? The thing that separates all of these guys who did something with what God had given to them is they decided to own what was already given to them. They owned it. They owned it. They decided to get in the game. See, this is what they realized. Stewardship without ownership is just neglect. Because it's already been placed in your hand. I, I tell a lot of the young adults here, God has already put everything that you need to accomplish what he's called you to do in your hands right now. You already got it. They decided to get in the game and own the gifts and talents that they were given. Just like an an athlete who receives the ball knows they've got to own this ball and do everything possible, come what may, to get the ball from their hands into the end zone or into the hoop or into the goal. They've got to own it. How are you owning what's been placed in your hand? Stewardship without ownership is neglect. And the only way for us to successfully steward God's gifts is to get in the game. One more verse and we're done. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9.24. And it's funny because he puts it within sports context. And I love that. The Bible is relevant for today, right? He says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25. It says, do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in a way that you will obtain it. See, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. What we're receiving that's different than the guys who are going to play their hearts out. They're going to be knocked all over the field tonight. And we're going to herald them as champions. And we're going to give them rings. And we're going to give them uh, uh, trophies and and all of that good stuff. And we'll celebrate them. But all that stuff in the grand scheme of things does not matter. But what God has placed in your hand matters for eternity. So what are you doing with what God has put in your hands? What would it look like for you to get into the end zone of life and realize that you owned it by hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant? You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy 
of your Lord. How many people right now are walking these streets? How many people are in your schools? How many people are in your job? How many people are in this community, this region, this world, who are waiting for you to just own what God has given you so that they can experience what God has for them? See, Jesus Christ not, died not only to save you from your sins, but he also died to save you to fulfill the life that he's called you to live. And maybe somebody in here is just like, well, you know, that's all good and great, but I, I hear about Jesus. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not there yet. And I'm going to tell you right now, you will never experience the life God wants you to live until you've made peace with Jesus Christ and you accept the free gift of salvation that he's given you. That's where it begins. I love our Easter theme from last year. The epic life begins at the empty tomb. You want to live epic? You want to experience some good things in you? You want to experience an interesting most exhilarating, sometimes not easy. You're going to take hits. But like any football player tell you, once they get into that end zone and win that game, those hits were all worth it. And you're going to say the exact same thing. Come what may true life, it was all worth it. So maybe you're here today. I'm just going to ask, if, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, there's a couple of ways you can do that. One, you can just... Invite Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. You can claim him as Lord and Savior of your life. In just a short moment, I'm going to pray with you and invite you to do that. And if that's you today, I want you to fill out your connection card. I want you to jot down in there, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We want to celebrate with you. We want to uh, encourage you on this journey. We want to encourage you to own what God has given you. And if you're an individual who's like, hey, you know what? This is all getting great. I don't know the gifts and talents that I have in my life. I don't know how God has shaped me. I don't know how he's created me. We have a really awesome class called Growth Track. Growth Track is a class that helps you understand how God has shaped you and how he's calling you to join him on the most epic adventure you will ever embark on in your life. Growth Track, the first session starts today. I just want to invite you out. We got food. Hang out. And if you already know what God has placed in your hands, and maybe you've just been saying, I can't, it's too tough, it's uncomfortable, I'm tired, whatever excuses that you've been giving, remember this, you matter. God gave it to you for a reason. It's bigger than you, though. What you do will impact eternity. And finally, stop making excuses and get in the game. Hey, bow your heads with me. God, I'm just praying for somebody in here who has not made a decision to follow you yet. Maybe today is that day for them. Maybe today is the day that they get in the game. Maybe today is the day where they will join the most epic journey that is known to man, that is being a follower of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that if that person is in this place today, that they'll just... Follow me in their hearts by saying these words. Jesus, today I commit. 
I'm owning the salvation that you've given me freely. I ask that you will live in and through me. Forgive me for my shortcomings. Forgive me for my sins. And I ask that you will carry me into a new life with you. And God, for everybody else here, Lord, who knows what they, they've been given, those who've been timid and afraid to join your mission in whatever way you've shaped them to, I pray, God, that you'll give them the boldness, you'll give them the clarity, and you'll give them the absolute power to do what it is that you've called them to do. And God, when all is said and done, May they hear those words that we all want to hear. When we get into the end zone of life, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.